Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I dream the dream of days to come where sponsorship is high and money is forthcoming. That's beautiful, Kevin. I really added a voice onto that one, too. <laughs> I really was trying to go for something there. Listeners, we love creating this podcast, but it does cost money. Please don't make me sell my Angel record. Oh, my gosh. The original cast recording of Angel. That, like, nobody has. Nobody has it. If you like what we are doing and want us to keep doing more of it, please Head over to Patreon.com. What? That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Pat-reon. Pat-reon. Yeah, Pat-reon. Pat-reon. Yeah, once you're there, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends. And of course, we don't expect to give without receiving some great rewards. Such rewards include behind-the-scenes videos, shout-outs on future episodes, mm. or episodes, depending on what part of the country you're from, because <laughs> I said episodes, and early access to some of our podcasts. Hell, for the right price, Kevin and I will come to your apartment and act out all of Agnes of God. <laughs> so head over, friends, to P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to help us out. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Stitcher and Broadway World. Ooh. <laughs> Every Mother's Day, today's guest must get over 50 cards sent by her various children, including Tina Fey. John Goodman, Bill Murray, Ed Burns, Jennifer Aniston, and Jodie Foster. <laughs> While she is known for her countless appearances in film and television, the theater is the true home to this Broadway legend. Her credits include a Broadway debut in the original Gypsy, starring Irving Berlin's last musical and Mel Brooks' first, plus stops in some of the most notorious flops that Broadway ever saw. Yes, folks, this is our first guest from the musical Kelly. And I see a poster of Kelly hanging in her living room. I can't wait. So to tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Irving Berlin, Neil Simon, Ethel Merman, David Merrick, and countless others, here is the best damn medical stenographer who ever hit Broadway, Miss Anita Gillette. Welcome, Anita. Thank you. Oh. What an intro. Well, it's really the least great. we can do. Please, we have been trying to get you for so long, but I you're know. so busy. You just never You're the busiest working. woman in show business. As I said, I, it's because I never say no. <laughs> I can't say no. I'm just a girl. 
Now, I want to jump. I'm going to jump right back to your past. What is a medical stenographer? What is that occupation? Well, they're probably passe now. But when I was uh, 15 and I needed a job to pay for my voice lessons, uh, I got. Uh, training and in stenography, I was gonna. I was taking it in high school, mm-hmm. but I wanted to work for my family doctor. So I took a course, actually taught myself, and then with a little help from a, 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 a stenographer at the medical group, and um, I learned medical stenography. So when the doctor is writing down his reports and he wants you to type it up, he likes to dictate. So, you, you know, it, and they would dictate things and I would write them down in medical terminology. So that's how, and that, that got me paid pretty well. Actually, after I graduated from high school, because I didn't go to college, uh, I got the jo- a job working for the Army as a medical steno. And I got a pretty good starting salary because of that ability. And am I understanding this correctly that when you were in that job at first there were goats? Was there something about Yes, and actually there were. It was classified too, right? It you was were... classified. I went on the Tonight Show and the FBI or CIA or somebody that, you know, wrote found me and was they were worried I was going to give away secrets. So I <laughs> I thought, "Holy mackerel." You know, but uh, working for the army was was fun, but it was gruesome. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I it was can... gruesome, but it, you know, I had to get over that. I, 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 I thought I would wouldn't last. I, I got the job, and then two weeks later, I said to my boss, "I can't take it. These animals going by, you know, I just because they would, um, well, they would. Can I say this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's they true. They would wound them. Yeah. And then they had all these wonderful surgeons and scientists and people in working in the biophysics division, which is where I was, um, to see what the best method of of making them survive. And they would have uh, sometimes it was a simple saline would be better than you know rushing into antibiotics or something. And they would liken these goats, and it's be- they use them because their organs were more comparable in size to a man's organs or humans and they would um, and they would treat these animals and thus by doing these experiments they saved lives of men who might have to lie on a battlefield for whatever number of hours unattended and then when the med- medics got there what did they do what was the best way and we had some pretty fancy surgeons so, you know like the one of the guys that became the head of the Mayo Clinic oh, wow. i mean it was they were really but they were serving their time in the army right. so i got to meet all these people and take dictation from them that's and fascinating when I saw real human beings, I thought, well, this is research. Yeah. And um, I mean, yeah. what's the difference? I mean, it's their animals. I could deal with the mice and the guinea pigs a little bit better, but um, they all have saved lives. Yeah. And that's why I, I, I ended up marrying a scientist. And that's my f- feeling about science. I think science is 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 has saved many 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 lives. Yeah. That's so incredible. Agreed. And thank you for your service and all of that. <laughs> no, seriously because what you did also is just as valuable as what all the doctors yeah. were doing as well. Well, not so as you. valuable, well, but it did I did do my bit. You did yeah. do your bit. Yeah. Where did you grow up? 
I grew up outside of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Outside of Baltimore. Uh, it was, I say Baltimore because nobody really knows where Rossville is. It's mm-hmm. 10 miles outside of the city line. And um, I grew up next door to a pig farm. And um, it, that's that they were, they were, uh, it was real country. Mm. And there was a beautiful farm they had um, with the most beautiful, you know, fruit trees, cherries, sour cherries, and uh, all these trees, and sickle pears, and yeah. tomatoes. And what did your parents do? They worked for the army. Both of them, um, my father was uh, a a precision machinist, which an instruments maker, rather, during the war. That's how he stayed out of the war. Mm -hmm. He uh, He made the instruments for airplanes, some of the most finite stuff. He was of German and Italian descent, and I guess the the, you know that precision, and I'm picky like that myself. I was going to say, are you detail oriented? <laughs> yeah, I like am. You grew up oh, with that. Lord, yes. <laughs> I am very detail oriented to the point of ooh, not OCD, but I am. But detail- you get there. Yeah. And was there a lot of was there music in the household growing up? Always. That's yeah. my mother's side. She okay. was Irish. Period. That's it. She was Irish, and she had five redheaded sisters, and there was a big old piano in our living room. And uh, those sisters would come over, and they'd all harmonize. You were lucky to get the floor if you were a kid in that house. I was the oldest, so I, you know, I was allowed in more times than my <laughs> than my other my little sister at the time. But we all sang, you know. Um, and um, but they that's that my house was always filled with music, live music too. Yeah. What music were you listening to when you were growing up? Now is the hour when we must say goodbye. Soon you'll be sailing. War songs. Yeah. You know, all that. <laughs> and then when I was in the fourth grade, I sang an Andrew Sisters song. I forgot the word. I've been a long, 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 long way. To make you understand. So pucker up, my sweet, and meet your Waterloo. Come to baby do. Well, you know, I nine years old, and you're singing that in front of the whole class. It was really crazy. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> a little sophisticated for a fourth grader, right? Yeah, it was oh exactly, but goodness. I loved the Andrews sisters. Were you performing when you were in high school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was. Miss Eleanor Turner was my mentor. Oh. And she was an amazing, amazing woman. Used to get mad every time I had a steady boyfriend, thinking, oh, my God, she's not going to continue. Right. I, I almost didn't. Was, <laughs> was Miss Turner your drama teacher or choir teacher? Music. The Music Glee Club. Then they put on. She was very ambitious, and we put on a lot of different kinds of shows. You know, we did a, a version of the Great Waltz or the Waltz King. I mean, right. and we did, um, you know, all kinds of variety shows where yeah. we would sing musical comedy things. That's sophisticated. For, it is. It for is. A bunch of high schoolers. Yeah. When you were in high school, did you start to think to yourself, maybe I can make this a career, or was this just, oh, this is a fun hobby to do on the side? Well, you know, I because I did have steady boyfriends, and I like in my family, uh, you were a girl and you were the oldest. What did you do after high school? 
You found somebody to marry, you got married, and you had kids, and that was it, you know? And I I loved it. And after high school, I joined a group called the Alamedian Light Opera, which was run by Salvation Army Colonel... and and her clan, you know, yeah, the, right. the, all the Salvation Army, which assisted me, knowing those people, uh, made me re- a real Salvation Army doll in guys and dolls. Huh. I knew whereof they they were, you know, and spoke. Yeah, because later on you would do guys and dolls at City I did. Center. Yes. And who was your Sky Master? Son? Jerry Orbach. Oh, God how love great him. is that? It oh. was great. It and, was. And Alan King. Alan King. Sheila McRae. Wow. It was a great no, performance. A it was a great. And that's where I met Frank Lesser. He actually came backstage and said he had never seen my, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, what is. I'll know if I were a bell. Yes, if I were a bell. He had never seen if I were a bell done quite that way. And he was. I think he really meant quite that drunk, but you know, uh, I I I could only think of that uh, colonel, lady colonel, you know, who would be um, whose name has escaped me right now, um, but she uh, she would if if she took a drink that looked tasted like a milkshake, yeah, and then you know she was with this handsome guy. I mean, she was so uptight. They were very, that collar stuck in their neck, man. Uh-huh. They were really, they were wonderful people, but they were really dedicated to their cause. And so is Sarah. And she is, you know, in Guys and Dolls, the character, she is really dedicated to her cause. And she'll do anything to get, uh, save somebody's life. Yeah. yeah. Even if it happens to be Sky Masterson and she has to go to Cuba to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, you know, if she ever drank those Dolce de Leches the way Sarah did, you know, she'd be drunk as a coot. Yes. After one. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I just let go. I, mean, I love it. I just I let I the collar that. open. That's it. Oh, yeah. Took yeah, off the jacket, man. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> And I went for it. That that was. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh my god! I would love to see that. So, so you're you're now getting back to where we started the conversation. You 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 were a stenographer for you know in cl- classified stenographer. How, how in the world did you get to New York? That uh, well, that's that's really uh, it was a. Um, as I said in the gay life when I did that show, and oh, I yeah. said it in my show with Penny Fuller, which I do, mm-hmm. uh, called Sin Twisters, it was a magic moment, which is a song that uh, I learned in the gay life. I understudied Barbara yeah. Cook in that. And I met uh, a, a, a physiologist at the, in the, when I was in the Army. We met over an autopsy report, Dr. Oh, Gillette. Sexy and romantic. My name. You know, that's, I got, yeah, that's the name. Gillette, yeah. And we fell in love. And um, we got engaged, and at that point, I was still doing all these things with the Alamedians and the Valley Players, but I never really thought I would stand a chance in New York, you know. I hadn't even been to New York. I'm, I mean, once I had, with, with a group of kids from high, girls from high school, we came up here. And did you see uh, a show when you came up? Yeah, we did. We saw On the Town. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah, it was great. 
And um, anyway, uh, uh, getting back to Dr. Gillette, he was coming to New York to audition for uh, an interview for uh, Pfizer when he his term of, of service was over. And um, so I he, that was in Brooklyn, and I came up on the train with him just for fun. Mm. And I went, I got a copy of Backstage magazine, and I stayed in... Um, in Manhattan while he did his interview yeah. in Brooklyn and I went to an open call at, for the North Shore Music Theater in Beverly, Massachusetts to be in the chorus. Yeah. Well, I'm just so short. I, you know, the, the, I didn't think I'd ever make it in the chorus anyway, but I went just to have the experience and I remember it was a really rainy, rainy day and I was wearing this tight skirt and I jumped over a puddle and I split the skirt <sighs> right up the back. Well, I was determined I was going to that audition. Yeah. And so I I backed into the room. And <laughs> I, I backed up against the piano. She's and I sang bubbles, bangles, hear how they jing, jingling. I did that. And then I broke into, and I did that fine, just standing against the piano. And then they said, and you're up, number? And I went, Oh, I'm just wild about it. And I started dancing around, completely forgot that I was naked. <laughs> Showing, <then>. yeah. <laughs> but I got the job. I, mean. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Oh, man. What a way and to that, be remembered. So I went away to get it out of my system just, because yeah. Ron was given, Gillette, Dr. Gillette was given the job. And we were scheduled to go to Terre Haute, Indiana, oh. because that's where the main offices of and labs of Pfizer are, in Terre Haute, Indiana. Oh. We were getting married in October. I came back from summer stock, of course, only succeeding in getting it into my system. Yeah. Finian's Rainbow having been my first. I was going to ask, what yeah. shows were there? Yeah. Equity job. Nice. Second soprano. Again. So your first audition was, f and you got your equity card. That's and right. <laughs> On a whim, too. That's right. On a whim. Yeah. On a whim, just yeah. for fun. That kills I me. Mean. And Dr. Gillette was okay with this. Yeah, he said, go get it out of your system, you know. Little we'll get married know. in October, and then I, because I don't know where I'm going to end up. And then I was literally, and this is the magic moment, I was typing the letter of acceptance to Pfizer, and he got a telegram from Cornell Medical College here in New York, New York Hospital, Cornell, on East 68th Street with an offer for a better job. And that's how we ended up in New York. Oh, my we God. tore up the letter of acceptance, and we wrote to Cornell. Otherwise, we'd be having this interview I'd in Indiana, be, and I'd have, you'd I'd be have on ten a farm. kids, and yeah. I'd be <laughs> yeah, totally. It'd be Big a completely fat different lady story. In Indiana. Wow, oh what a wild! You're right, magic moment. It I mean, is. that is it. It is. So now you're living in New York City, right? Yeah. And you're going to start making the rounds of auditioning. Oh yeah, right. So let me ask you this: When you were auditioning, no, I wasn't going to start making the rounds of auditioning. I I came to New York and got a job at Sloan Kettering. Uh, you know, in the chemotherapy oh, division, course. right across the street from where Dr. Gillette worked, I worked in the in the uh, chemotherapy lab, Dr. Woolley's laboratory. 
Wow. Yeah. I was a medical, still a medical steno. And I went there and I met all these fascinating people from all over the world because scientists would come to the memorial, you know, hospital yeah. there in Sloan Kettering. Uh, all scientists would gather there. And that's how I met all these wonderful doctors. Wow. But so- how does then? How does Gypsy then? Well, what happened the was that, that Stephen Slane, who was a producer at the North Shore Music Theater, called my mother in Baltimore the next season, and s- asked where I was because he wanted to invite me back this time doing small roles. That was the question. Yeah. So after I I had the job at Sloan Kettering from. October through June, or well, the end of May. And uh, that was a question in May when he called. Was, was I going to pursue this or was I going to not? And I had to ask my husband if it was okay. And I did. And he said, fine. You, you know, if you, you know, just do it. He said that I'm okay with that, wow. and um, so he was very understanding for a guy in those times, yeah, you know, really in that in that area. And then I got the the Russell Patterson sketchbook, uh, which opened the Irving Maidman Theater, which was brand new on mm-hmm. 42nd Street. Um, I'm not sure that and you know what 42nd Street used to be like, and I thought, oh my God, all these girls are going to be coming. To this yeah. <laughs> They're going to be pedaling right in front of the theater, <laughs> but um, and then I was concerned because I got um, uh, I was, you know, um, the costumes. Russell Patterson was a drew the Petty Girl, you know, the those girls with it, which were pinups. And oh, our oh pin-ups I don't, I don't I'm not familiar with yeah. him that well. And if I'm you Google pa- Russell Patterson, you'll see some of his sketches. Okay, and he drew the most beautiful, you know, cartoony, gorgeous long-limbed girls and and our costumes were pretty i mean for a sunday school teacher like i was <laughs> yeah a little risque <laughs> i was like oh wow and <laughs> when when they call, when daniel blum called me to tell me i'd won a theater world award i i remember for the, for russell for patterson's yeah. sketchbook i he called me, and I was I was pregnant, just pregnant, and I was having the dry heaves, and I was I was in Brooklyn. We were living in Brooklyn then, and I just I answered the phone, and I said, and he told this guy voice told me I'd won a Theater World Award for this show that only lasted like two weeks, right? And and I thought, who could have seen this? And but. Probably my picture was in the paper in this scanty costume with my, you know, all you had is a little skirt and your bloomers or something. Yeah, yeah, and your hiney was showing, you know. That's what my mother would, my father would say. And we were like this, and I thought, and I said, listen, Buster, I don't know who you are or how you got my telephone number, but don't you ever call me again or I'll get my husband after you. And I slammed down the phone. And then my agent called and she said, Anita, do you know who that was? I said, some jerk. Some, she said, no, 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 you won an award. I said, I won a what? For that show? Are you crazy? Oh, man. That I mean, is amazing. That's the story. And then the momentum yeah. really was picking up. I mean, on it your career, it was starting, yeah. Because yeah. by that time, I was I had already gotten into Gypsy, 
and I had auditioned for that. I didn't know I was pregnant when I got into Gypsy. Was Gypsy already running when you auditioned oh, for yeah. it? Okay. Oh, yeah. It was when Lane Bradbury left. I got you. And Merle, whose name was Latout then and Louise now, mm-hmm. after she did, when she went into Sweeney Todd. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah um, Merle took over that role Wait. and somebody needed to do the understudying re- and replace one of the Hollywood blondes. So that was my job. Did you understudy, I mean, did you audition on the stage of the theater? Yes, I did. did. Wow. Yes, I did. Did you have a standard audition song that you used a lot? Bubbles, Bangles, and Beats. That was it, right? Bubbles, and Bangles, I'm and Bangles. just wild about Harry. It did me all right for those, that long a time, <laughs> yeah, so I figure, why not? Yeah. Absolutely. And Julie Stein said, you know, he liked what I did so much, he said, you could do either role. Oh. He said, I really mean that. So, you know, and when... <laughs> When I, when I, later, I've, I'll just have to hook this up now. You can edit it no, any no, way no, you no. want. But later, when, when I did Carnival and I filled in for Anna Maria Alberghetti that incredible night, Julie Stein sent me a telegram saying, don't get knocked up again. <gasps> I'll never forget that. Don't get knocked up well, because yeah. you were pregnant during uh, yeah gypsy. during gypsy. And there's some, and I mean, uh, I've read some interesting stories about it with you, but it, Ethel, yeah, you got to tell us that you got yeah okay. Please. Can you tell so many times though? I know Ethel it's, Merman saved my job. She, yeah. yeah, she was, um, you know, she, she was a wonderful person. I used to go down and watch her do Rose's turn every night. I mean, you can't cutting your teeth with on Ethel Merman's performances and learning from her yeah. every night, you know, in the wings. It was just um, amazing. And I guess I must have endeared <clears throat> myself to her because when she found out they were going to fire me because when I found out I was pregnant, I had to tell people. And, um, and my doctor said, you can't do splits. You have to be careful. You can't, you can do, maybe you can do the cartwheels, but yeah. I don't know about the splits. So uh, they were going to fire me. And... So Ethel Merman said, oh, no, 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 no. The kid stays in the show. I mean, so all right. So she she can't do the splits anymore. She could still do the car. You could still do the cartwheels, right? Yeah, she could still do the cartwheels. The kid stays in the show. And I stayed in that show till my eighth month. <gasps> yes, you did. What? Yes, you did. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I, I knew that I had to get out when... You know, there was the we had in the original production that Minsky's ballet mm-hmm. Christmas yes. tree thing, yeah. And the little girls, while the big tall showgirls were parading in front, the little girls would be there. Would be you'd climb up the steps to this fake tree, you know, to the scenery tree, and there'd be a little platform, and you open the door. I swear to God, this was true. You would open the door (laughs) and you'd go stand out on this platform on the top of the tree, near the top of the tree. And on a given cue, you would open your arms. Why? Because you were there with this this velvet cape trimmed in fake ermine. And on a given cue, you would open your wide arms wide like an angel, you know. Yeah. And then revealing this very revealing see-through costume mine had we had a g-string and oh my gosh like a silk stocking that, you yeah. know and i had little pasties oh. on my nipples yeah. and little they were uh, holly berries and then on you know the g-string had holly berries but when the holly berries on my 
breasts started moving east and west. <laughs> and I thought, I got to get out of this tree. <laughs> I just, I got to get out of Let alone if you were showing it all. Oh, my gosh. And, but you know, from the front, if you looked at me straight on, I oh, still yeah. had a waist. Oh, yeah. I still had a oh. waist. It was amazing. And then Milton Rosenstock used to sit the conductor. be in the pit, the conductor. Yeah. He would, and he'd started, you know, making fun of me. <laughs> and, I, and I would say, Milton, why did you make me laugh? Or, you know, when I'm in the tree, I have to watch my footing up there. Yeah, you don't I can't fall. Yeah. Oh my! He was a character. I loved him. That's so funny. Uh, (laughs) Carnival, you you were in Carnival. You left Carnival, right, to go do the gay life. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. And Mr. Merrick was not very pleased about your leaving because he had already set me up that one night. Do you remember that night? Tell us the story. Remind our listeners of what happens on this very magical, special night of Carnival. Well, I have to start with they were going to fire me oh, out of town. Great. I had a pink contract, uh, and I they had five days out of town to pick up the option to pay me $25 more a week and sign me for a run of the play as the understudy to Anna Maria Alberghetti. I just had my baby. I think Merrick wanted me in this job because I think he remembered me, as I said, Julie Stein from Gypsy, even from my auditions or whatever. And and David Merrick owned, and, and Anna Maria Albergetti did not get along very well either. And um, uh, because she would faint a lot, uh, you know. Well, that's another story, and I don't want to say anymore about fine, it. Fine. But um, uh, she wasn't well, and um, he didn't believe her. Anyway, uh, all the, 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 so they they didn't. Here we are out of town in Washington at the National Theater there, and it was the fifth day, and nobody said a word to me about. And we haven't had even a rehearsal understudy because I was so busy being a gypsy for Gower Champion in the carnival that I didn't have time to even learn what new stuff was in the script. If anything would have happened to her, we would have had to close the show, or else I would have had to go on with a book, because there, I had no rehearsal. And and the, finally, the, the, it was getting down to the wire, and so Gower took like 15 minutes off to come and see me and, and the guy playing uh, Jerry Orbach's part, um, to uh, Paul the puppet yeah. here, to co- come in a room, there was, it was a rehearsal room with two doors, one entered and one exit, and he did that. He came, Gower, came in that door, slowly walked while we were doing this a scene and left uh, through the other door. And um, after that, in that in the afternoon, uh, Neil Hartley was a very distinguished looking war tie as the stage manager in those days. Uh, uh, told him to, he wanted to see me, and they call. He called me out to the audience, and I went to sit uh, in the audience next to Gower Champion, and he was directing a scene with Kay Ballard and Jimmy Mitchell, mm. and and he was focused on the stage, and he turned me, you know, as if I were. I mean, it made me feel. He probably didn't mean it that way, uh, but it made me feel like a little piece of. Dust that yeah. not not at all important, and he said, "Oh yes, Anita, uh, 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 we've decided. No, Kay, Kay, no. I want you to cross on that line. Okay, and uh, Anita, yeah, we we um we we no longer want you as the uh, understudy. But you, n- Jimmy, 
I told you on that line, I think you should do blah, blah, blah. And in the middle of that, he would uh, address me as if he were flicking a fly off his <laughs> sleeve. And in any way, he said that um, he would love me to stay on as a gypsy, but they were going to try to replace me. Well, I was hysterical. I mean, I thought that was the end of my career. I was so loving what I did. And so in the meantime, I was... I was losing my weight. I was, you know, trying to get my hair darker because they had dyed it in Gypsy. All those showgirls took me in the first act one night, dyed my hair red. Anyway, I, 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 I was on my way. And Charlie Blackwell, who was the most incredible stage manager, assistant stage manager to Neil, used to try to console me. And then Dr. Gillette, that was really it. He said, this is it. He says, obviously, this business is tough. This sucks, he said. If you, you, he said, but uh, he said, if you can't stay in it and take it and just be in the chorus right now, you know, you'll come home and you'll you'll be my wife and the mother of our child, and that is it. You don't do you 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 either stick it out. You've got the guts to do this now. That scared me enough to just I took it. And I stayed as the gypsy. And when we got back to New York, I would go to rehearsal, understudy rehearsal, and there would be five girls standing in the doorway waiting to audition for my job. I would wait till they finished. Woody Kessler was the accompanist, and Merrick didn't want to hire anybody for the rehearsal and the audition, so separately. So I was susceptible, you know. That's wow. who I saw, and I would wait till they finish, and then I'd go and rehearse, and I got better and better and better in the job. Meantime, I started looking for work. I was free now. I had two-week notice. I got a job in the gay life. I gave my notice in. I had my own song and my own scene. Yeah. And I gave my notice in on a Saturday night. Albert Getty went to the hospital on Sunday David Merrick called me on Sunday night and said, you're going on tomorrow and you're going to be a star. And I went, oh, what? I mean, no pressure, right? The Monday papers, they sent people to interview me, and Monday papers said, tonight a star may be born. I mean, he built it up. And if I hadn't been able to deliver, can you imagine? Oh, uh, can uh, you uh, imagine the, the stress? Stakes, the pre I can't even imagine. I was backstage that Monday night because we did shows on monday sunday was the day off as i you must understand yeah and i was and all the stagehands were my buddies and they were all rooting for me and they were all you know and they were waiting and i went there i got there so early i made a little run through and i got there very early and i stood backstage with my little piece of paper lily's the character's father had given her written down the name of a man to see at the carnival, uh -huh. where she, because she was orphaned. She was an orphaned waif. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stood back there with this little piece of paper, and I just focused. I never focused so hard. That's when I learned the lesson of focus and being able, and that's why I love the Imperial Theater. Mm -hmm. So it sometimes makes me cry, because Good. when I went out there, I just knew, I, wa I wasn't me. I was her. I was she. That's predicate nominative, right? Yes, I was she. I was Lily. And I walked out there, and 
And I got a standing ovation that night. And then the next day, David Merrick found out I had given my notice. <laughs> he called me and said, you've got to get out of that show. I need you here. And I said, I can't. I signed a contract. And it was with one of his rival producers, Kermit Bloomgarden. Oh, yeah. And Bloomgarden just ran with it. He thought, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is... And just it to was clarify, very exciting. So they took away your understudy position... And then when he needed you, they asked you they, to take over. They asked me, no, they, yeah, but they asked me to stay on, and they never found yeah. anybody. <sighs> so they asked me, in the meantime, I was just, I would suffer through all these yeah. other people, and people writing, all my friends oh. writing and say, we hear you're leaving the show, you, we're wow. auditioning for your, your job. The timing all, of that. It was amazing. So that gave me this, what you need, is the hide of a rhinoceros. You need the tenacity of a bulldog, and you need a good home to go home to. Mm. Stella Adler. Wow. Yeah. A real wonderful yeah. acting yeah. teacher. There it is. Yeah. And so, so what happened with uh, the gay life then? So then Well, the you gay life, they, they, they had so many women in it. I understudied Barbara Cook. Yeah. And I opened the show. I was, a, I was one of the ladies named Gusti. Huh. And I, I was standing on a bridge, ready to leap, and singing "I Lost the Love of Anatole," and uh, Jules Munchen, who was uh, Walter Chiari, who's Anatole's uh, mm -hmm. friend, came running in to save me from jumping off the bridge, huh. and uh, I never got seen again. <laughs> they, okay, they cut it. Wow, they, they cut it. Yeah, they. And then that's when. That's when. Um, um, I mean, we, I was in Detroit where we opened the f then new Fisher Theater. The Fisher Theater, yeah. yeah. And um, when uh, Kermit Bloomgarden came back to my, uh, um, I don't know, about a month later, after the, at the end, near the end of the run in Detroit, he came back and he said, I've just got some terrible, I've just got some bad news. We're going to have to cut your song and your scene and your part. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And uh, so this all adds up to your uh, the rhinoceros hide. Yeah. Yeah. And because uh, rejection is part of the job. Yeah. It's not fun. Don't do this unless you have to. Do you hear me, everybody? Don't do it unless you have to. Mm -hmm. It's an mm -hmm. addiction. Mm. And, and That's a great way of putting it. My God. So let me ask you, after we get done with uh, the gay life, and I'm so sorry that happens to you, now you're going to have a really nice role, though, in All-American. I did. So tell us a little bit about this show, because it's one of our favorites. It's one of our listeners' favorites. It really is. We love the score. We've, well, it's it, a great score. Well, we, it really is. We had the great pleasure of sitting down with both Charles Strauss and Lee Adams. And Lee. And they've talked about it so much. So I want to talk to you about it. First of all, who writes the book for All-American? Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks's first musical. Not as successful as the producers, but that's okay. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the all-American experience. What, what's, what is this like? You're playing the lead role in I'll a just new say, musical. It was Josh Logan before Lithium. B.L. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a shame. Yeah. yeah. Because Mel and, and also Ray Bolger was another contributing factor to, the, to it because... He did not want to play Mel Brooks' farce. And if you, if you don't know how to play, I mean, mm -hmm. nobody really, I mean, 
I, w- I played a crazy nymphomaniac yep. caught trying to get into the climbing into boys' dormitory. You know, nice. that's the way Mel writes, you yeah. know? I mean, it's, and, and it was funny and it was, but Ray, and Ray Bolger could dance still, you know? Um, but he, between him and between poor Josh, who was brilliant, I mean, Josh would just, his imagination was unbelievable between the two of them, Mel and Josh. I mean, they'd send you out on the far reaches of a tree, but then you found out there was no trunk. <laughs> you know, you know what you do? You would be right out there with the leaves. And yeah. you, you take chances in saying some of this stuff. Really just wild yeah. stuff. And it was great. It was such fun to play a nymphomaniac. Huh. I mean, I'm so yeah. I, so, why do you think the show didn't work? Because they nobody knew. I mean, Josh couldn't congeal it. Yeah, he, there, he didn't make the trunk. If you, if that's an analogy, I don't know. Yeah. if I'm saying it. No, I think that's no. I got exactly spot on. You're saying. There was you know no what I'm saying? That, that we, you know, you need to rein it in. I mean, Fritz Weaver did everything but twirl a mustache as the villain. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, told, who, totally. who played opposite you in all of Ron Huseman. Let's oh. talk about him a little bit because he was okay. Really wonderful. Oh, he was wonderful performer who's still he, with us, I believe. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, I think he is. I mean, he yeah. moved to California. He had two kids to support, and by that time, and he was uh, he. Uh, he, he. I mean, when they told us we were closing, he fainted. I mean, literally fainted uh. and in the wings. And we had to get him revived, and he oh. had to go on. Ah, uh, that was a scary time. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, we the notice went up, and Ron went down. Oh <laughs> God, uh, scary. Oh. But he, they nicked his vocal cords in California. He went out there and did stuff, and was teaching, and he got node. Yeah. And they like like Julie Andrews. That it. That was it. That was a talented guy and a great yeah. voice. And oh yeah. And someone I hope our listeners and students seek out yeah. because he leaves behind a look really up the old Bell Telephone Hours. We oh, were on yeah. that. You know. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a. I have a DVD of that. Of the Bell Telephone. Yeah. Hour. Oh. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so now we're going to leave All-American and Mr. President. Oh, Mr. President. Which is Irving Berlin's last musical. When I was doing uh, at the Winter Garden All-American, mm-hmm. Irving Berlin's office was above that 
theater, oh. the Winter Garden Theater. And he used to come down on Wednesday matinees and watch me in my little see-through 90 with the big bunny slippers. <laughs> I mean, well, who wouldn't want to see that? Then? Exactly. You know, that was... And he would watch from the back. And the next thing I knew, there, my agent, Beverly, called me and said, I just got a, uh, a, a casting call. They're looking for an Anita Gillette type to play the president's daughter. <laughs> In Anita Gillette type without asking what? Anita Gillette. And so my uh. agent said, I called them and told them I represented you and you were interested. <laughs> and they said, fine, when can she come and audition? And I had to audition twice. For your own type. For your own type. <laughs> and, and Mr. Beast ended up telling me much later, there never was anybody else to do this part oh. but you. I mean, I'd seen you so many times. That's how I knew he he used to come downstairs and watch me because we became friends. You never knew, but during the run that no. he would come and check. No, how funny is that? Wow. So, yeah. t- tell our listeners a little bit. What was the plot of Mr. President? <laughs> mm-hmm. Plot. What <laughs> um, <laughs> is this word you speak of? It ran almost a year because of the big advance sale we had. Um, It was his return to Broadway, you know, after an 11-year absence, having suffered from writer's block really badly. And... um, uh, But anyway, it was... uh, he, He was very much enthralled with this country and with the whole, you know, the patriot... He was a big patriotic guy. Oh, absolutely. You know that. Yeah. And Kennedy fascinated him and he, you know, the rocking chair and the whole thing. And this was a handsome, but Robert Ryan played the lead, played the president. And this was just a pistache of what a president might go through. Nanette Fabre is the first lady visiting, riding an elephant and or a camel and visiting, you know, foreign countries. That song is brilliant, by the way. They Love Me. Yeah. Her, if you've not heard They Love Me from Mr. President, it's so funny and it it's is. so fantastic. It is. As is yours, which was called... The Secret Service Makes Me Nervous. <laughs> Because you were the president's daughter and they would follow you... Everywhere. Just about everywhere. Was the president's daughter character based on any children, famous presidential children, or was she just a... I think she was just... I don't think it was based... He needed to to find, a, you know, yeah. an ingenue to be the ingenue. Be the ingenue. <laughs> now, when the show is trying out in Boston at the Colonial... Um, is Mr. Berlin nervous that how oh, how are critics going to respond to his return oh, after yeah. eleven years? Yeah, you've heard this story, I'm sure. You've told I, us I've this told story. This, you've told me the story, story once story. before. Yeah. Um, well, we were told because of uh, he was at uh, he was leaned towards de- being depressed. He was you know getting older and mm-hmm. he he was n- nervous about that and he had, as you know this was his first musical back after as i just said yeah. after 11 years and turned out to be his last and um he just didn't know if he had it anymore and uh everybody was very leland hayward the producer josh logan who had by that time thank god found lithium and was you know with it uh we we used to protect we were told to protect him from any inform bad information 
from critically speaking. So just build a wall just around build, Mr. Berlin yeah. so he doesn't. And we only, you know, all we did was work with, you know, he was there when we were working. And, you know, and certainly when we recorded the, the, the and, but when the reviews came out in Boston, Elliot Norton said, headline, knee deep amongst the corn. And that was the day we were headed uh, over to the Ritz from the Colonial. You know, we walked diagonally across the uh, Common, and there we would then there we would go up to Mr. B's suite, and we would hear the new Jack Haskell and I, the new double number. You know, yeah. uh, uh, so, but all the way across, we were being told what not to say, how we dealt with it, what we were going to do, and how we were going to blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we all walked in the door with big smiles on our faces, and all, we're all trying to talk about the new double number and what was going to be. And he said, well, what about the review? Oh. And we all just stunned, just looked at each other. He said, what? You know, he said, look, I know. I know my songs are corny. White Christmas, that's a very corny song. God Bless America, that's even cornier. And then he proceeded to list all these incredible big songs, and then he just quipped, well, so's my old Kentucky home. And we all just laughed, and we proceeded, and that was how we got on with it. He had obviously read the review. Yeah, and uh, it was that was that yeah. was it. But to say his songs are corny, like I, you know, please. well, it gives you like a little Chris, snapshot Chris, of where he was. Yeah. A little yeah. bit. What yeah. was it like to be friends with Mr. B? I loved him. Yeah. I really just he he had this wonderful. Um, I don't know this way about him. He, he he just was he was very paternal. He, I know he loved to fish because I used to, that was how I relaxed. Just put a line in the water and wait for it to bite, and then all you concentrate on is the the fishing line or the bobber or wherever you are. And we would talk about fishing, and he showed me his paintings. You know, he he used to paint, and and his office was you know filled with paintings. I never got one. I wish I had. Anyway, I got a wonderful letter from him, which oh. I'll show you later. Yes, please. Um, but anyway, he used to ask for me to come over, and who would call me would be Hilda, Hilda Schneider, his, his secretary from Queens. People called her the Berlin Wall <laughs> because nobody got through Hilda. Yeah. You know, she was... Um, she protected him, you know. Like, she would call me, and she, she had this real Queens kind of accent. And she would say, Anita, this is Hilda here, Hilda Schneider. Like, I didn't know which Hilda <laughs> <Right>. it was. <laughs> <laughs> totally. She said, she say, um, they, this, I'm going to tell you two of these. She said, the first one, she would say, uh, do you know somebody named Diane Keaton? I said, oh, my God, Diane Keaton, Hilda, that's a big movie star. If you know her, will you tell her to quit bugging us? <laughs> will you tell her that she wants the rights to Mr. B's heaven, I'm in heaven? It's called Cheek to Cheek. But anyway, she said she wants that song. You know, Mr. B has, might have plans for that song. 
he might have another, another music box review coming up. I mean, who knows? He may need that song. We can't give that song out to anybody. That's the way she would talk. Oh so nobody could get his music. You know, he published everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. He owned He's notorious for that. And so, so then once, you know, I, 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 did, um, I was doing The Tonight Show. And I sang um, Just in Time. Mm. And Hilda called me the next morning. She said, hello, Anita, this is Hilda. Hilda Schneider. I said, <laughs> Hilda Schneider. She said, listen, um, Mr. B wants you to come over and see him. You know, he misses you. We miss you. We want you to come over. By the way, I think he wants to talk to you about what he saw. We saw you last night on the Carson show. He said, I think he would, wait, Matt, 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 yeah, here he is, Mr. Mr. B. Oh, he, he wants to talk to you. He won't let me talk to you. Here, 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 here's Mr. B. All right, Mr. B, here's Anita. So he gets on the phone. He says, hello, Anita. This is Irving. He said, I saw you last night on the Tonight Show. Anita, you sang Julie Stein. Anita. I got a lot of songs. <laughs> oh, that's very endearing, though. <laughs> that makes me so happy. That's so oh, sweet. Okay, very... so after Mr. President closes, oh. then Angela Crane. In... Oh, good grief. So you are our first guest that was actually in Kelly. That's an hour. <laughs> That's How can three? we yeah. talk Four. about that and finish this interview in time for you to put it on the... Too. So very quickly for our listeners, quickly. Kelly has been considered, up until Carrie in 1988, yeah. it was, I, I'm so sorry to say this, it was no. the... Most flop. famous flop. Most famous flop. It ran, it opened and closed in one night. One day, yeah. Right. February 6th, 1965. Um Tell us how. Tell us what what was going on with Kelly. I know you said you have an hour. What wasn't going on with material. Kelly? I mean, you, you know that you name it, we had it. So, it in was, a nutshell, once again, what was the plot? If there was, it a plot. was about uh, an event. A guy named Steve Brody, who w- was from a very poor section of Brooklyn, and uh, he was going to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. And then these gangsters got involved, and it was a story of whether did he jump or didn't he jump. And and uh, uh, I guess Eddie Lawrence and Moose Charlap who I whom both of whom I respect very very much uh got together and wrote this sort of what they would consider I would think uh, in the vein of Kurt Weill and Bertolt Brecht yeah. kind of uh, thing show and they got this guy named Don Franks from Canada to play Kelly Hop Kelly was his nickname Hop and um and it's really difficult to explain. It's a legend that nobody really knows whether he did or he didn't. He got paid to not jump, or he got paid to jump, and nobody and he and he defied the gangsters, or whether you know it was dark and he says he jumped, and nobody really knows if he did or not. And the show opens with this very odd song, "Oh, you great big bridge." Stretching, oh, <laughs> oh, wait, oh, you great big bridge, stretching, 
the, uh, oh, I can't remember. Now I've got to get Just that. those lyrics alone, I, mean, that was I think, give us a pretty good stri- picture. Oh, I'm sorry. You cut that part up. Yeah. The show would open with this number. Oh, you great big bridge stretching across New York. You don't squawk. You just do your job, and it's a hell of a job you do. Connecting Brooklyn, Lynbrook, with York, New York, New, New. Lynbrook, with York, New. Why this is still not I can't, running? I can't. I can't right us. now. You're killing me. That's it. <laughs> what was what was your role I, in this? Where, where were you played, complicit in this? I played the lead gangster, just played by Jesse White. I played his adorable daughter. I mean, he adored her. He sent her off to school in Paris, and before she left for for finishing school in Paris to become unbrooklynized or ungangsterized or whatever and cultured, she was in love with Hop Kelly. And she comes back, and they rekindle this love affair. <laughs> and I did get a couple of really good songs, like I'll Never Go There Anymore. Which is probably the best-known song from that score. I think it is. Yeah, and it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And so, there's, there's another song called Ballad to a Brute. I don't know that one. It's up there on that piano. Oh. If you get a chance to later, later, you can play it. Thank Ooh, you. My God. Thank you. He's very <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> So what is it like? Did, uh, you must have known during rehearsals and out-of-town tryouts that something wasn't working. Oh, God, did we ever. <laughs> well, first of all, we had Joseph E. Levine, the movie guy, as, yeah. as one of our backers, David Susskind, Danny Melnick. So that was who believed in this. And when we all got together, we all believed in it. And we we took that, all these... these uh, Eileen Rogers was in it, and Matt, uh, uh, all uh, would, uh, a little um, uh, the 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 uh, what was his name? The guy who did um, Steptoe and Son, uh, Wilfred Bramble. Oh yeah, we was, we had an incredible cast. Mm. Uh, and Ella had, Logan. I was say you had Ella Logan. Ella in it. Logan. Only out of town, right? She didn't come with it to Broadway. She was fired out of town, and they and um, they blamed it. Mickey Shaughnessy was in it, and he b- was friends with uh, uh, L. Logan, and I sort of was friends with Wilfred Bramble, and we used to meet in the Variety Club and with all the stress that was going on with the changes and the rewrites and the firing of Eddie. They fired the writers, banned them from the theater, then they would come into the theater in disguise with mustaches and wigs and hats and glasses and they'd sit in the back of the theater, the Schubert Theater <laughs> in Philadelphia and watch what was going on. And then we had writers sitting in hotel rooms everywhere. I think Mel Brooks even was in a hotel room somewhere writing for the show. But they would have people writing. And then we finally, we went to Boston and Joseph E. Levine said, this is where I get out. I'm out. I'm off this train. And here we are. We're in, P- in Penn Station in, in uh, Philly trying to, on the coldest, coldest January, whatever day it was. And the trains were late and the storm was there and we're all 
sitting there with our on our suitcases <laughs> trying to get out. That that wow. said it all. That and then we never knew from one day to the next what was in, what was out. It was so difficult to keep up with those changes. And and because it was written by all different people, nothing made sense. Mm-hmm. Talk about not, not having a trunk <laughs> to the tree, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. Um, and then, so you oh, did you know that you were going to close on opening night, or was that a... No, no, because uh, I, I went, I mean, we did the Saturday night, we opened on, closed on a Saturday night, and we had Sunday off, and then Monday morning, a friend of mine called and said, have you talked to the Broadhurst Theater yet? That's where we did the show. Oh, yeah. I said, no. He said, I just called them, and they answered, Broadhurst, House of Hits, and then they told me the show was closed. Oh, my God. And that's God. how I found out. Oh, God. And I went to the theater that night, to, or then, to pick up my stuff, and they said, come to the, they sent us, uh, they called all of us and asked if we would come, because Suskind wanted to give one more speech, and called us all into the audience of the theater, to talk about how sorry he was this had occurred. And as we were sitting there, they were taking, you could see the scenery being torn down, the costumes being taken to out of wow. across from the dressing room out the stage door, out, you know, through the, it was, it was awful. It was, uh, it really was bad, yeah. but, um, Weird things happened. That that was a, that was just a disaster. I don't. I but that I hope that explains. No, it it, it, it does because you know you hear about it so much, but you never get to get the heart. The heart that you just put into it is exactly yeah. what I think is yeah. missing from that story. Um, I want to throw a name at you really quickly, Kay Medford. I loved her. She was my mentor. So. Our listeners probably know Kay Medford best as Fanny Bryce's mom from the Funny Girl movie, but mm-hmm. had a Bye huge Bye Birdie. And Bye mm-hmm. Bye, the original Bye Bye Which Birdie. Which is what I'm trying to get now. Oh. Trying. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for you. Yeah, I really want to do that part yeah. real bad. The TV version? Yeah. yeah. I'm talking to everybody about it. I probably won't get it because NBC thinks, you know, they want a big, huge name. But, well, that's the way they I are, know. you know. I hate that but stuff. But anyway. Kay Medford, um, who has this very long stage career, uh, talk to me about her. You said that she was your mentor. You guys did Don't for, Drink the for Water. For comedy. For comedy. Yeah. So what did you learn from the great Kay Medford on Don't Drink the Water? Almost everything about comedy, because I was a straight woman in that. Yeah, which is you set up all the jokes, right? I do. This yeah, is I a did. Woody Allen play, yeah, right? Yeah, but then I was going through a divorce then, and I needed the money. And so I stayed in that show for two years, and I went through every person leaving and <laughs> me staying. <clears throat> but it w- I loved Woody Allen. Mysterious, but he was nice, you know, and he liked it that way. But he was very warm to me. I, I adore him. Was that your first play? Was this one of your yeah, first plays? Yeah, that was a straight play. That Amazing. was it. And Tony Roberts, you yeah. know, I set up all his jokes. and uh, But I... I, I Kay left and Peggy Cass came in. Oh. But Kay Medford, we were out of town. Uh, you know, she was up there in Boston. Because uh, I replaced somebody else in when in Boston. I wasn't in the original. Oh. Um, um, I mean, it was in the original show, but 
uh, on Broadway and in Boston after they fired this person. But uh, I was, I came into the show and and she was, I could just, I mean, she was so funny without trying. It, it was effortless. It was just who she was and she she was, uh, she had that. And it wasn't particularly that I liked, I mean, I wanted to be that style of comedy because it's not my style mm -hmm. of comedy, but just it taught me how she did it and why she did it. And I thought that's what she did it because she looked, had that look and she followed what her body, her appearance dictated a lot of what kind of comedy she was going to do and what she looked like when she delivered the comedy. Yeah. And, and, um, but she's, she did a bit. Stanley Prager was directing it. And I remember, <laughs> you know, this about this American family that gets stuck behind the Iron Curtain, which was then. And, and, they, and so Kay is, as the mother of the family, is standing, she decides she's done the laundry, she's going to iron the clothes. So she's in this big Russian embassy, American embassy in Moscow, and she gets out the ironing board, and she gets the iron, and she, over her arm is her big pocketbook. And so she's she's got this out, and she's ironing with a pocketbook on one you know, over her arm, and she's ironing. And Stanley Prager yells from the audience as he's directing the scene, Kay, I'd lose the handbag. And she said, never. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that's it, because <sighs> she and Rod Liebman were the best people for props. They knew how to use... Things that I still haven't learned. I, Ron Lieben, when I did the, the, the Rich and Famous at the Public Theater, the John Guare play, mm. we I played. That was my breakout in acting. Really, it was the, I played five different people, and Ron Liebman did too. And then we had to switch. I was a Harry Krishna character to fill in while Ron was backstage changing into the next <laughs> role. And then they switched the order, and then he had to be the Hare Krishna. Wild. So, I mean, I got a couple laughs with that bit. Yeah. But when he did the bit, first of all, it was twice as long, and second of all, it was 5,000 times funnier because I'm back there changing into my new right. my thing, and I'm hearing this roars from <laughs> the thing. But you know what he did? I came up, and I did the lines, and I didn't, Take into and I didn't take into account. First of all, I was he was a new Hare Krishna. He didn't know he had never clinged to those little symbols, so his fingers get stuck in the symbols. That was the first laugh. Uh -huh. These little symbols. It's a bit, yeah. Listen, everybody, I'm giving you a lesson. This little tinky little symbols they have on their fingers and he did a bit with that that was hysterical and second of all or maybe it was first he second of all i think he he was in the streets of where is he he's begging on the streets of new york and what's on the streets of new york dog shit so he steps as he's trying to get the Classic. symbols undone he steps in a pile of dog shit and between his fingers getting stuck and his foot doing this, getting, you know, shit on it. Oh, yeah. He was hysterically oh. funny. So that is a big lesson. It's clowning, too. How I to mean, do it, comedy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
amazing. amazing. It really is. And then Cabaret. You go and replace uh, Cabaret. I love that you, you played Sally Bowles. I did. You're known for these ingenue roles and then the, 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 the nymphomaniac and All-American, but then yeah. you play Sally Bowles. That's yeah. Oh, it was In the original production. I mean, it, yeah. you, you, you replaced. I took over but, for Jill Howard she, yeah. when she left. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. th- was that one of your first replacement gigs, you know, where you, you, you enter a show that's already been running and you, you yeah. you're, you're putting your stamp on it, but right. you're kind of filling in the places that right. it's already been set. And yeah. what's that experience Too like? Too bad I didn't uh, originate it, but... Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, but anyway, I, 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 I did, I was happy to do that. And he did it for two years, so... Wow. Larry Curt and I went into it together. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, that was great. Do you enjoy... The musical is a little bit more serious than a lot of the other work you had done previously, because a lot of stuff like All American, Mr. President's a nice big musical comedy. Do you like doing shows that have a more serious thematic element running through it, or do you prefer the, I don't want to say broader style of musical comedy, but the more life-affirming style no, of musical comedy? No, my favorite musical, because the book is straight out of Shaw, was My Fair Lady, which I was never tall enough to do it anywhere but in Summerstock. But yeah. I did it in Summerstock for three months with the original standby for uh, Rex, Michael Allenson, yeah. who studied at RADA and gave me the benefit that's when I really learned to act, was through him, because he took his role as Higgins very seriously, and he thought I showed a lot of promise as an actress. Let me ask you, how do you approach a role? Is there a technique? Is there a methodology that you use? Or does it just come from inspiration and trial and error? I sort of go from the outside in. Outside in. I do, because I feel if I can look like the person, that's the first part of the lie I'm going to make into a truth. The way I look at it is my name, real name, is Anita Gillette, but I am going to be, as I told you what I learned when that first night in Carnival, I was Lily, I'm going to be Jenny Malone in Chapter 2. I am going to I convince that audience that that's my name, and this is who I am when I'm, it's a lie. So I think of it, that part, uh, my participation in it, is making a truth of a lie. And truth is the big deal. As long as you can be authentic and true and real, those are the main ingredients that I strive for in anything I do. But I have to get a picture of the person in my head first before I go out there. I have to learn how she washes her clothes or yeah. does her bath or what her, what her, her routine is or things like and that. And all of that will then influence And then all that comes in. The and truth. then if you've got a good book like Shaw or, you know, yeah. then you're, you're set. You S- speaking of good writing, let's talk about Chapter 2. Okay. And Neil Simon. Oh, God, love him. Because it really is one of, it's. I think it's one of his best plays ever, and I also think it's one of the great plays of the last half of the 20th century. Yeah. Tell us how Chapter 2 comes into your life. Well, I'm now living in L.A. Um, Manny Eisenberg is a friend, uh, having known him since way, way back um, from great the producer. O'Keefe Center, yeah, yeah where I... I did another guys and dolls in Canada there, and um, and he is doing Neil's play at the Amundsen. I was never asked to read for it. Here's again, 
They're in the table read, and Neil doesn't like the person playing Jenny Malone. I'm back here in, I have to come back to uh, New York to do a pyramid, and Manny takes me to the Sammy's restaurant, you know, down the Hungarian place down there. And he says, um, when are you going back to L.A.? I said, as soon as I finish this, I got, you know, my uh, my housekeeper's out there with the kids, and they're, you know, they were in school, big, you know, one was gone already. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, and so uh, I have to get back. And he said, I want you to come and audition for this. And I went, what? And so um, I remember that walking in that <laughs> that Schubert, th- that theater out there, I mean the Amundsen, and just, oh God, it was really, yeah. um, anyway, I, I, Neil had seen me do travesties and the importance of er- being earnest at the uh, taper, mm-hmm. which I had done. In, in rep, we did it. Right. And then, so he was impressed with that. And But nobody would think of me as a, a straight actor still, even after Rich and Famous. Yeah, wow. Which I had to beg Joe Papp to get let me audition for anything that would be non-musical. Wow. Even though Rich and Famous did have a few songs in it, but it was not considered yeah, a musical. Yeah, um, but musical, But anyway... I got the job, and that's how I got into Chapter Two. And a Tony nomination. I mean, and a Tony, my Tony nom. Which shocks me that that was the first one (laughs) for a play. Yeah, for a play. Which is the the validation and hello business. I am an actress. Yes, and a singer. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah, I want to be an actor because I thought the life of a singer is limited. Mm -hmm. You know, you you're not going to be able to sing forever. But if you got the addiction, as I say, and you want to be up there and get the, that's the addiction, I guess. Yeah. And also the creativity of it, the the the, the uh, Sherlocking of it, finding mm. out discovery is just that's rehearsals the most wonderful part to me of of anything I do rehearsing it. Finding it, getting it. What do you like out of a director? Hmm? What do you like out of a director in the rehearsal process? I like him to be strong, but I like him to be pliable as well. I like him to be uh, respectful of my comments, what I feel. I like him to take what I feel and, you know, give me ideas. I loved Sam Gold. I loved working with him. Uh, Well, I loved... You know, a lot of people that I've worked with. I I shouldn't mention Sam Gold without mentioning some of the others, and I n- n- don't have a list right now. No, I've no, worked with no, so no. many wonderful directors. I mean, Josh Logan was a wonderful director. He just was going through a hard time at, at that time. But you could see w- where that imagination took him, mm-hmm. and he produced so many wonderful results of the with the shows he directed. Uh, and um, well, I'm g- I'm I'm going to get in trouble if I no 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 don't remember all the uh, other wonderful people that I should have mentioned. No no no, that's, no, that's that's good. That's fine. There are a lot of them. Uh, who was your director on Chapter Two? 
Herb Ross. He was mm. wonderful. Tell us a little he bit. He loved about. me, so that was good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it always helps. Yeah, it always helps. <laughs> yeah. Right. He gave me the movie Boys on the Side with Whoopi Goldberg. Oh. He said everybody wanted that movie, but I saved it for you. Oh. And that took a lot because wow. Hollywood doesn't care. Yeah. About theater people. No. No, they don't. They really, really don't. No. Unless a theater person gets injected in there as a director or something, yeah. then they yeah. can bring their friends over. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done so much film and television work. I have. Do you enjoy? I love it. You enjoy that process. I love the paycheck. Mm. I love the process, but I mean, I like the paycheck more. But there again, maybe I should be called the flop girl. I don't know. I mean, it's such a derogatory sound. But the truth is that I did a pilot with uh, John Goodman called Normal Ohio, which is a wonderful show. Yeah. Funny and too far advanced for its time. It was right after the millennium, and uh, nobody wanted to know from a gay guy to John Goodman as a gay guy. Really? Oh, yeah. That's why we got killed. There are a few episodes of I it. I didn't know that. Online. I mean, yeah, it's actually. In 10 years would have been all the difference. I mean, even, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Orson and Bean was your husband on that, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And Jolie Fisher. Oh, yeah. Was my daughter. Did you film that here in, in LA? In LA. Wow. At CBS. Jeez. I mean, a, a CBS Studios, yeah. but it was an ABC yeah. show. Huh. I, I'm pretty sure. I don't wow. I think it was ABC. But the guy that came in and took over the, the network yeah. put, it, put the kibosh on it. And we were shooting a, 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 an episode with Dan Aykroyd at the time. It was a funny, hysterical uh, episode. I don't know that it ever got aired. Mm. That I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen I'd, it. I'd love to find out. Well, what's it called again? Normal Ohio. <laughs> Wild. Yeah, and if you have the Hulu app, yeah. it's on there. It is? Is yeah. it? Really? Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. Watch it, folks. I have no idea that these things are on. People tell me to look at it. But you know, I did try to look up something, and 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 people wrote in about how wonderful I was and how sad it was that I never got to be a big star. What? And that made me so depressed that I, I thought, I don't want to look at this anymore. <laughs> That's crazy. That's you are a big you star. Are. <laughs> you are. You are. Because you're respected at what you do, and you're yeah. so good at it. You're so good at it. Who thank cares you. what the hell the size of the paycheck and is? Thank exactly. You. And now recently, well, I, first I have to say on a personal note, you you are in my my family's favorite movie of all time, uh, the, the the Jennifer mm-hmm. Lopez uh, mm-hmm. Jennifer Lopez and Richard Gere movie. Oh, shall we shall dance? We dance. Oh. It is. I don't know why my parent. It's like there is, is everything to them. And when I told oh, my mom today wonderful. I was meeting you, you're fantastic in that movie. Oh, thank you. She, she owns the dance. They studio. cut out my drunken mambo scene. Oh though. man, I had it. I had it. I'd love to have seen your drunken mambo scene. I had a scene, scene where I was. I was teaching the yeah. three boys the mambo, and I kept, I kept, it was, which fed the end, you know, and when she goes to the cupboard to get the drink and she shuts the door. Right, right, right. Because she's so screwed up that mambo, and she's thinking, you know, I got to do something about this. It's very oh. subtle, yeah. but it was my line and of, you know, my Your arc, arc. yeah. And so, uh but they cut it out, and it was hysterical. I mean, the boys' reactions were funny. <laughs> they oh were really funny, <laughs> and um, and but they they didn't have room for it in That's the show. Bad. Peter Chelford, uh, Chelmsford yeah. told me, but he had an outtake, which he said he would get me, and he never got it to me. Let's get to that outtake. I know. 
You've been in so many culturally recognizable things. Moonstruck. Oh, Shall yeah. we dance? Thirty Rock. Mm. Um, I just I was lucky enough to produce uh, Don Scardino's show at uh, Fifty Four Below. I was there. He, he was so excited. He was like a, a little kid backstage. He goes, "Anita Gillette's here. Anita Gillette is here." <laughs> he's wonderful, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, he's wonderful. Yeah, and he you're really so is. funny on Thirty Rock as oh, as Tina Fey's mother, right? Yes. Oh, and that's one of those things you were talking about going the outside in. Would you Would you tell our listeners what you did to prepare for your audition? Oh, I got a pair of glasses like hers uh, with just empty, you know. Just, yeah. They, they, they were exact same glasses. Brilliant. And I I just, that was the main thing I did. That's all. And But I <sighs> but wanted smart. that job, really, really. <laughs> and I thought, I don't look like her. I have to be her mother. But Buck Henry was going to be her father. And he, he has the dark eyes and the dark hair. So it made sense that... You know, if but she's a pretty woman, and so am I. So I figured if I put the glasses on, I could convince Brilliant. them. But Don fought for me, and I just I owe him because he he knew me and he liked me and he fought for me and I got the job. Wow! He's and incredible. Tina Fey is a oh, she's wonderful. She's so down to earth, mm. and she's married to the neatest guy, Jeff Richmond. I love him. Oh, I think he's so funny. God, and so yeah. smart. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing recently with Penny Fuller. Oh, I, I do a duet show with her called Sin Twisters. And, Sin uh, Twisters. And Sin Twisters. Yeah, Love because, that. And, and we haven't even told people this, I don't think. We, uh, we really, you know, naturally we were in competition f- with each other over the years. Sure. And, um, and people have often called me Penny. And I didn't know that the same thing was happening to her. People would often call her Anita. And right, it was like a few years after my husband died and I was in the city and Len Cariou and Heather Cariou, Heather I knew, knew from uh, uh, Jerry Orbach's wife, Elaine, who I used to hang out with. Uh, and we were invited to go to Len and Heather's Christmas party. And at the party was Penny Fuller. And while we knew each other sort of formally, but not, you know, we were, uh, we were never really spent any time yeah. together. And so here we are, and we're both alone. So we each got a glass of wine, and we slid down a wall. You know, because <laughs> the place was very crowded, and we just sat down finally with our drinks, and we just talked and talked and talked. And she was doing cabaret, uh, teaching cabaret up at the O'Neill. And I was thinking about doing it. She said, well, if you ever do, you know, let me know. Anyway, I ended up doing a cabaret. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and then I went up to do one of her shows, but she has to do every had to do every year, and then we got the idea of doing one together. I, after I did my show, which was after all, which I debuted at Birdland, and I got awards for that. That was nice. Oh yeah, yes, you, you did. did. Beast Joe yes. and Mac Award and yeah. all that. And um, I'm nominated this year. We're nominated this year. I saw. Congratulations! I love it. Yeah. So. Um, uh, Penny and I, uh, Barry Kleinbord directed, Paul Greenwood was musical director, 
and we did um, we do that what you're doing now educating kids talking about the history of the golden age of of uh, musicals yeah. and the, we tell stories of you know how we landed and I tell that story about the magic moment and mm-hmm. I sing magic moments and Anyway, the show is really fantastic, uh, and if and if our listeners get a chance to uh, see it, grab that opportunity. We're going to be doing Birdland on the May twenty second. Oh, great. we're doing Sin Twisters. We're not sure if we're doing part of one and part of two, or just one or two. But I think we'll, we definitely are doing oh Sin Twisters. Yeah, Birdland May twenty second. May twenty second at seven. Done. Is there any? Uh, idea of maybe making this into a recording at some point and, and, and I don't know we never thought of it oh I no. hope you do I really? hope it gets preserved I really do because ah. it really is fabulous yeah it really is fantastic okay yeah I'll, 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 I'll bring that up I never think of these things <laughs> oh we, we would love that we'll buy it okay <laughs> just make it for us <laughs> we'll buy it if nobody else will um this has been so oh. so wonderful Thank you so so much for spending so much time with us. I talk a lot, don't I? Oh, no, it's this so is good, fantastic, and <laughs> wonderful. Uh, and on behalf of all of our listeners and ourselves, we just really wanted to thank you for all that you've done over your amazing career. Thank and you. You've given us so many wonderful performances and so many wonderful memories. Thank you. Now, Please. just tell NBC I want to be the mother. I want. I want that. Yeah. And, and Jennifer might stick up for me too because we work together. I played Hello. her boss in Shall We Dance? Yeah. And Jerry Mitchell was my busker in My Fair Lady, and I had to step on his back to get down from the platform. <laughs> he remembers that. <laughs> you hear and that? Charles See Strauss, that? I stopped the show. We stopped the show at the cabaret convention. So <laughs> all of that leads up Add to it up. It May. Up. May. Yes. We want Anita Gillette to play May Peterson. Yes. Make it happen, and world. If it's not going to hey. happen, we're not watching. <laughs> Until next time. Take Bye, care. everybody. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin, guess what? What, Rob? We now have over 50 iTunes <sighs> reviews. Huzzah! Huzzah, indeed! Oh. We are climbing those iTunes rating charts. That's amazing. Yeah. How do we climb even higher? Can you take <laughs> me high enough? Little Rock of Ages for you. Do you know I like that you took it up so high too? You didn't <laughs> even you like went right to the tenor place. I was gonna do climb. No Robert Goulet. <laughs> like, no. Can you take me high enough? Thanks for coming out tonight. Ooh, and my falsetto there. <laughs> Thank you. And a little Sergio Frankie? Yeah, a little Sergio. It's never over. <laughs> Much like the 24-hour buffet down in the lobby of the Dunes Casino. Me and Sid the Caesar. Two nights only at the Mirage. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well... Lovely listeners, this is where you come in. This is how we're going to climb those iTunes rating charts. That's right. Lovely listeners, if you love us, would you go to iTunes, click on the iTunes store, search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. That's right. And you can leave comments, too, like, Kevin Thomas is a god. Or, Rob, who the hell is Hervé Villachez? Who, 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 who is Hervé 
Via, uh, via oh from my Fantasy God. Island. I fell for it again. You fell for that it. wasn't even the, the script. The man has never done <laughs> one musical in his entire life, and he gets mentioned more than Steven Right, Sondheim. but I love him from James the Bond. Okay, anyway, oh, yes. guys, help us out. Please. please. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.